0: We are delighted to be joined by the man that invented systematic theology, or at least that's how it seems, a best-selling author and distinguished research professor of theology and biblical studies. Hello and welcome to Exposit the Word, Dr. Wayne Grudem.
1: Good to be with you, David.
0: Thank you. Good to be with you as well, Wayne. Wayne, you're here today to talk about a different book that you have out. But it would be a miss of me not to mention that you've just brought out the second edition of your amazingly popular systematic theology. It's fair to say that you made the most of COVID lockdown last year.
1: (laughs) I think the work was done before COVID came out.
0: How long does it take to do a piece of work like that?
1: Well, the first version took about 10 years. Wow. I wasn't working on it up full time It was I was teaching full time and working on it in spare time. Um, the revised version took about two years. But uh, a lot of the material, the new material was material I had incorporated in lectures over 25 years as I'd been teaching through the first edition of the book systematic theology. So um, it was two years plus 25 years of, yeah. of extra preparation.
0: Yeah. Just in case anybody listening hasn't heard of systematic theology before. What is it and why is it so important?
1: Well, it's answering what the whole Bible says about different topics. What does the whole Bible say about angels? What does the whole Bible say about the deity of Christ? What does the whole Bible say about salvation and how people can come to know forgiveness of sins and personal fellowship with God? What is God like? Uh, Is he what is his wrath? What is his jealousy? What is his mercy? What is his omnipresence? Any questions that people have about God and who he is who he is and who he is what he has done for us, how he relates to us, those are the subjects that come under the general heading of systematic theology. Systematic yeah. means organized. Yeah. Well organized by topics.
0: Yeah. And if somebody already owns the first edition, is it worth their while investing in getting the second edition?
1: Oh yes, of course. <laughs> well, there are uh, 295 pages, it's 295 pages longer. So um, the additional material, there's um, there are specific sections now that interact with contemporary Roman Catholic theology and the Catechism of the Catholic Church and explaining where evangelical Protestants would di- would differ with our Catholic friends on some points of doctrine. Uh, there is a section on Protestant liberalism, liberalism would be people in the academic or religious world who don't think the Bible is the word of God, but just human writings. And uh, I explain where liberalism and evangelicalism differ. There's a section on Mormonism and what perspective Mormons have on different doctrinal positions and how that would differ from evangelicalism. I have new um, New material on open theism, the idea that God doesn't know the future. New material on the new perspective on Paul uh, as promulgated especially by N.T. Wright, who's a British scholar. Um, More material on um, guidance by the Holy Spirit. Uh, More material on um, the need for repentance in the Christian life as opposed to what's called the free grace movement. Um, all the Bible quotations in the whole book are changed from the revised standard version to the ESV, the English standard version. Um, so, uh, and we have added, a, we had, a, we had a hymn at the end of each chapter and I've added a contemporary worship song to the, each, to, to the end of each chapter, along with the hymns, which are retained. Yeah. So, um, quite a few new things completely new chapter on creation and evolution
0: <laughs> am i right in thinking as well even though this book has got an extra 300 pages it's actually lighter
1: it it, it i don't know if the british edition is lighter but the u.s edition is lighter how did they do that <laughs> dinner paper i think
0: <laughs> ah, okay yeah yeah amazing brilliant well you're here today to talk about that what the bible teaches us about divorce and remarriage When you were researching and writing this book, how is the church faring on a scale of one to 10 in accurately teaching what the Bible teaches us on these matters at the moment?
1: I don't have the information available to know how well the church around the world is doing on any one topic. So I'd best not say uh, what I don't know. Mm. Um, My impression is that the Churches that believe the Bible to be the word of God and seek to follow it faithfully have held to a number of different positions on divorce. Uh, but the most prominent one, uh, most frequent one has been that which is found in the Westminster Confession of Faith from 1646 to 1648. Um, and that is that there, that marriage is permanent, it's lifelong between husband and wife with the exception of two situations in which uh, divorce would be legitimate in god's sight and therefore should be allowed by the leaders of churches <clears throat> those two situations would be the physical act of adultery and desertion by an unbeliever physical act of adultery according to matthew 19 uh, 6 and um desertion by an unbeliever because of first corinthians seven fifteen. 15. Uh, if the unbeliever separates let it be so let him separate In such cases, the believing brother or sister is not bound, is not enslaved. Um, So those are the two uh, legitimate causes for uh, seeking a divorce, not that divorce is necessary or required, but is permitted in such cases for a Christian believer who's been against whom adultery has been committed or who has been abandoned Mm -hmm. by his or her spouse. David, I don't know if I should go on now and say that <clears throat> within the last two years, additional research into First Corinthians 7.15 has led me to conclude that there could be another ground for divorce. Um, and that would be other situations that, that, that damage a marriage similar to the extent that is damaged by desertion. Mm-hmm. Um, um, in 20 in 2018, I published a book called Christian Ethics. And it's a it's similar to my systematic theology book, but it deals with how to live the Christian life. And in it, I held the view that was traditionally the majority view among evangelical Protestants since the Reformation. That is, there are two legitimate grounds for divorce, adultery and desertion. But in this, uh, since that 2018 publication of Christian Ethics, I've changed my mind and Concluded that there is additional ground for divorce that Paul hints at or uh, teaches about, speaks about in 1 Corinthians 7 15, where he says uh, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. In such cases, the believer, believing brother or sister is not enslaved. And the phrase in such cases, enthos toyutois in Greek. It uh, doesn't occur elsewhere in the Bible, but it does occur in literature outside the Bible where it means in similar cases, but not exactly the same cases. So um, the Jewish author Philo, just excuse me a minute, David.
0: Yeah.
1: Just speak. Philo, the Jewish author who lived 30 BC to 45 AD, he comments on the 10th plague on Egypt when the Egyptians woke up and discovered that their firstborn sons were all dead because of the last plague that God had brought on the Egyptians. And Philo says, as so often happens in such cases, they thought their present condition was but the beginning of greater evils. And they were filled with fear of the destruction of those who still lived. Now, what does paphylo mean, as so often happens in such cases? Well, how could he say, as so often happens when the firstborn sons are dead in the whole country? That had never happened before. He says, as so often happens in such cases, he must mean in cases similarly shocking or similarly troubling, which means that it isn't limited, that the in such cases, emtois, is not limited to the specific example of firstborn sons dying, but must be broader, more broadly expanded to to be understood to refer to general situations of sudden tragedy. So now, uh, there are other cases like that. I'll I'll give you one more. Uh, Lysias, a Greek orator, in uh, writing around 400 BC, said, when Firminicus had to pay a fine to the treasury, my father did not bring him his contribution of money. It is in such cases that we see the best proof of a man's friends. Now, is it only referring to when someone has to pay a fine to the treasury? No, I think it's when someone has a sudden need of money. Mm -hmm. He says, in such cases, you find out who your friends really are. Well, Mm -hmm. I've found a number of those examples where that Greek phrase, entois, toyutois, applied to a broader category than the specific example named. And we bring that back to 1 Corinthians 7.15. And we find that um, Paul says, if the unbeliever deserts, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. In such cases, the believing brother or sister is not enslaved. In such cases, I think must therefore refer to cases that similarly damage a marriage, similarly to desertion. And um, one that uh, some of the Puritan authors recognize and some modern church leaders have recognized is severe abuse mm-hmm. uh, where the abused spouse usually the wife but sometimes the husband has to physically flee flee the home yeah to protect herself or himself and um, that would damage the marriage as much as desertion would but the the the, the abusing partner has caused the desertion rather than uh, actually deserted himself yeah um, and um, it seems to me, therefore, that pastors and elder boards and churches, when consulted about the advisability or moral legitimacy of seeking a divorce, have to evaluate each case on its own merits. Yeah. Uh, but there are cases which would be damaging to a marriage similarly to the damage desertion would cause. Yeah. And I think that would allow for additional uh, reasons for divorce. Yeah. Um, repeated, um, uh, incurable, from a human standpoint, um, addiction to drugs, or gambling, or pornography addiction, damaging a marriage severely might be considered to fall in such ca- categories.
0: Yeah,
1: And so with caution, uh, to seek the preservation of the marriage if possible, um, I would be willing to counsel people to be willing to seek a divorce um when a marriage has been so severely damaged as that
0: and what does the bible have to say about remarriage
1: well if a divorce is legitimate in god's sight then the divorced person is single not married um so um if uh, say um Harry and Sally, to use two common word names, if uh, Harry commits adultery and Sally gets a divorce from him uh, because of his adultery, unfaithfulness, Sally is single, she's free to be, marry, be married again because she's not married to him any longer. In God's eyes and in the eyes of the uh, civil society, she is no longer married, she's divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, now in the first century um well the uh, the jewish mishnah which was recorded later in the second century but re- reflects the earlier oral tradition it says in the mishnah the essential element in a divorce certificate is this you are free to be married to any man so divorce in uh, jewish culture in roman and greek culture in the first century always assumed the right to marry someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, David, I, I should also say though, I've, I've heard statistics that people claim the divorce rate among believing Christians is as high as among yeah. non-believers. Yeah. And that is just not so. There's a book that I, I have noted in my ethics textbook by um, Shanti, S-H-A-U-N-T-I, It's an unusual name, Feldhahn, F as in Frank, E-L-D-H-A-H-N, Shanti Feldhahn, the good news about marriage. And after extensive research, she says, now this this is statistics for the United States, but I expect for the UK it would be similar. Um, 72% of people who have ever been married are still married to their first spouse, 72%. That leaves 28% who are not married to their first spouse, but that includes all people whose spouse has died so um probably uh, at least eighty percent of people who have ever been married are still married to their first spouse, and then she says weekly church attendance alone lowers the divorce rate between twenty five and fifty percent, and uh the median number of those who are say who say they are in happy marriages is ninety percent so um, but and, and then my personal experience i've margaret and I have uh, lived in six different states in the united states and two different countries the uk and the us we've been active members of nine different churches and uh, i've taught for 40 years in three different educational institutions we've known many many hundreds and hundreds of couples and the divorce rate is nowhere near 50 percent. i would say it's maybe three or five percent yeah max so those statistics just didn't ring true to me they didn't seem valid in my own experience and uh, i think it is an encouragement that the church continues to uphold the importance of preserving marriage and the uh, belief that marriage is intended by God to be a lifelong institution yeah
0: yeah how do you respond to the statement that the old testament contradicts the new testament on the grounds of divorce
1: well it doesn't um the old testament talks about uh, in deuteronomy 24 if a man divorces his wife and she marries someone else and then he dies or divorces her she can't go back to her first husband i'm not sure that that applies today because we're not under the mosaic covenant that was laws given under moses Uh, they're given to us now to be observed and gain wisdom from but not absolutely directly binding on us um uh, the, New, the Old Testament doesn't specify the legitimate grounds for divorce. Adultery was, of course, punished by, uh, by death in the Old Covenant, but those punishments are not um, intended by God to be applied to us directly today uh, without consideration of the uh, change in the covenants that came about with Jesus' death and resurrection. Mm-hmm.
0: What's your advice for uh, someone that may have married within a same sex relationship and has since become a Christian and wants to divorce because of their convictions?
1: In a same sex relationship? Yes. Well, I think the same sex relationship is contrary to the moral standards of the Bible and the person should seek a legal divorce as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What are some of the other views you give on the topics of divorce and remarriage?
1: Well, there is, I have some friends uh, um, who say that there should be no remarriage ever, even if divorce happens. And um, I interact with them in my book, Christian Ethics, but I won't mention their names on this podcast, (laughs) Um, but they're good friends and we respect each other's differences. Um, So there, there are more strict views of divorce. As far as um, Christian leaders, I don't know of any responsible Christian leaders who would advocate divorce for any reason, just being unhappy with one's marriage or having difficulties in the relationship. Yeah. Um, now, people do get divorced in our both in the US and the UK uh, for reasons other than the biblical biblically justified reasons. Um, And for those persons, um, the question is, what should a pastor do or a church elder, a church leader, or or a good Christian friend do in terms of giving advice to someone who comes and says, I got divorced for a wrong reason. Now, what should I do? The first option, option A would be seek to rebuild, restore the marriage if the other spouse has not remarried. But if the other spouse refuses to be reconciled and restore the marriage, then um, I think the person is, let me just be careful how I say this, David. I don't want to undermine the high value of the permanence of marriage. Um, But if uh, if the other spouse, has remarried, then the remaining spouse is no longer married to the to person A and um, uh, can marry someone else. If the spouse is unwilling to reconcile uh, after a sincere attempt has been made, then um, I think that would be counted in most cases as a desertion, willful desertion of the marriage. First Corinthians 7.15 would apply, and then the person is free to marry someone else. Yeah. But there's something else that comes up, David. When I've taught on this in adult Bible classes, for instance, I'm always aware that there are people that I don't know the background of in the class. And they've gotten divorced and then married someone else for, got divorced for not for biblical reasons, but for wrong reasons. Um, just selfish reasons, reasons, perhaps. Or they found, fell in love with someone else. Um, once they've been married, even though it was wrong to begin with, I believe that God's will for them is now to make that second marriage a good one and remain married. So I start out a class on divorce by saying, the first thing I want to say is, if you are married today, no matter what the background is, you are married to the right person. And God wants you to continue that marriage and make it a good marriage. We further sin to break up this marriage and, um, and destroy that yeah. current marriage that you have, uh, let's not make the same mistake again. Yeah. Jesus said, whoever divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness or adultery uh, commits adultery. Oh, whoever divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another commits adultery. So he assumes that they, they do marry someone else. and. Uh, once that has happened, then I think pray for forgiveness for past wrongs and uh, seek to be faithful to God in this marriage. Yeah. yeah. I hope yeah. I'm being clear on this, David, because there are so many complications that can enter yeah. in. Yeah.
0: Absolutely.
1: And it takes real pastoral wisdom on the, on the part of pastors and church leaders and, and Christian friends to speak to one another.
0: Yeah. And the great thing about your book as well. Wayne, is it's only a short book, isn't it? It's a, it's a really accessible book. You know, a recommendation for anybody listening with, you know, listening to this interview now, wrestling with any of these topics would be to pick up a copy of this book.
1: Um, now, are you are you speaking, David? I I should be clear. Are you speaking of this short book? Yeah, yeah. What the Bible says about divorce and remarriage. Yeah. Oh, I do have the new argument about First Corinthians seven fifteen in this book that's the first time published. Okay and the the quotation from philo and lysias and other greek authors the quotations are reported in this book brilliant so yes it is short and
0: we'll make sure there's a link to that book in the description below that's a book by crossway excellent you've got another book coming out at the same time as well haven't you wayne tell us a little bit about that
1: um yes the principle is that um we're not obligated to have as many children as we possibly can any more than we're obligated to get as much physical exercise as we possibly can, or sleep as much as we possibly can um, or study as much as we possibly can. Just the fact that something is good in God's eyes doesn't mean that we have to maximize it. So it seems to me that birth control is a legitimate option for Christians to use again with prayer for God's wisdom in each situation. Yeah. Um, But birth control methods that, uh, cause the death of an unborn child would not be morally acceptable. No. And I don't think sur- surrogate motherhood is acceptable either. It puts too much of a strain on the original marriage yeah. and uh, separates the child from its biological mother. Uh, it's not the same as adopting an orphan. It's uh, willfully yeah. planning to separate the child from its own mother. Yeah. So I don't think that... I could give approval to that as far as I understand biblical teaching. Yeah. Um, there's another small book called What the Bible Says About How to Know God's Will. And uh, that's in, that's a more complex question than immediately it appears to be. Um, there are a number of factors to take into account. Um, teaching of the Bible, the circumstances, uh, sense of leading of the Holy Spirit, um understanding the situation anyway i go through a number of factors to consider in how to know god's will and i say it's like a golf swing it looks simple it's at the, from the outside but once you get to trying it it can be very complex yeah. yeah we gain skill over time in the christian life in knowing god's will yeah
0: we'll make sure we got re- links to all of those books in the description below wayne before before we let you go i've got to ask you You've uniquely more than any other person that I know managed to walk on a line that has brought you the respect of both sides of the spiritual gifts debate. How have you managed to do that?
1: <laughs> well, um, I think through God's graciousness. Um, part of the part of the background that God brought me through, which I didn't understand at the time, included life in both of those. Cessationist and continuationist camps. I grew up in a Baptist church, Bible believing Baptist church in Wisconsin in the United States, and uh, had never heard of speaking in tongues or prophecy, any of these things. Um, I was in a charismatic prayer group while I was in university as an undergraduate um, and experienced and and worked for a a leader in the charismatic movement one summer as a pastoral intern. His name was Harold Redison. And uh, I worked at his church as a pastoral assistant for a summer. And so I saw people being prayed for and uh, the Lord doing miracles of healing and speaking in tongues, plus interpretation, casting out demons. So I had experienced those things. Then I went to Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, which was a bastion of a cessationist viewpoint on spiritual gifts. And I had to learn in the classes what the arguments were for that position. And then I wrote some papers for uh, John Frame, my theology professor there, and ended up going to Cambridge and doing a PhD on the gift of prophecy in the New Testament and why I could continue today and didn't challenge the authority of scripture. And even the reformed people who don't agree with me on the nature of prophecy, I think will admit that it's given a, uh, a position that is, uh, if if they don't agree with it, it's still a respected option in the uh, theological world to think that prophecy is reporting something that God brings to mind without having the authority of Scripture. But um, people who believe in God's providence believe that he directs all of our thoughts. So uh, why should it be a surprise that he could bring thoughts to mind that would be helpful in the situations in which which we find ourselves from week to week? I've, I've been inside both movements, yeah, for, for some time, and then five years in a vineyard, two different vineyard churches, in friendship with John Wimber. Um, also, was uh, influential, yeah, yeah. So,
0: it's been a fascinating conversation, Doctor Grudem. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Um, do you have any closing thoughts, and how can people follow your work?
1: WayneGrudem.com dot com website which I keep up to date from time to time. But um, my books and articles are listed there and hundreds of hours of audio teaching on theology and ethics.
0: Brilliant. Well, I'm going to make sure that the link to your website and to your um, books are in the description below. Do you do social media at all, Dr. Um, the
1: The general answer is no. Uh, i decided um if i got on facebook and twitter i would not get any books written yeah
0: that's true <laughs> <laughs> you made a wise choice <laughs> no
1: zondervan has a there is a facebook page for wayne grudem and there's a twitter account but it's wayne grudem and um what does it say and associates or something okay, like that yeah, and yeah, if
0: i manage it for you yeah
1: it's it's a, a firm hired by zondervan to promote books that I publish through them. Yeah. And uh, they take excerpts from my writings and post them. Yeah. So in that sense, I am on Facebook and Twitter. But um, I don't, I approve all of those postings month at a time in advance. But I and make some slight edits to them from time to time. Yeah. But I don't uh, initially author them. I've been thinking maybe I should but on the other hand, I don't. It doesn't seem to me, David, that I have an ability that some Christians do to respond instantly to new situations or developments in the news. I have to think for several days before I come to a conclusion on what I should say about this news event or that news event. And I'm just standing in awe of those Christian friends who can within five minutes post a, a tweet that analyzes a situation accurately. And I say, yes, I, I, I agree. I don't know how they thought of that, that analysis that quickly. But I don't think it's what God has gifted me to do.
0: Well, you keep on writing books, Dr. Greedham. I think you're in the right place. I think you're doing the right thing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. Really enjoyed it.
1: Good to talk to you. Great.